We're in a series, we're talking about divine perspective. We're working through the book of Colossians. Pastor David began this series last week and pointed to the preeminence of Christ in this beautiful poem or song or oracle. We're not sure what it was to the early church, but it was something standardized and unique that, that the church seemingly understood. And so it's exciting to get to be able to go back and study this, the Word of God. And as we do that, we want to make sure that we're understanding who Jesus is so that we can see Him rightly and seeing Him rightly, see everything else rightly. Everybody in the world, everybody sitting in here, everyone that can hear my voice right now is, is asking four questions and living by those answers. Everyone is asking, where do we come from? What went wrong? Can anybody fix it? Is there hope? Everyone asks those questions, and everyone has a set of answers to those questions. The, 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 the real you know, thing to consider is, are your answers right? Where do we come from? What went wrong? Can anyone fix it? And is there any hope? The Bible says, yes, there is hope. The Bible says, yes, someone can fix it. The Bible says, yes, something has gone wrong. And the Bible says, yes, there is a maker, a creator. Understanding the Bible is not a collection of sayings. It's not just a collection of stories. It is a single story in four parts. Creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. Where do we come from? God made all things, as we will see today. Jesus spoke them into creation. The Holy Spirit was there hovering over this creation. Well, what happened? If God is good and he's all-powerful, why is the world the way it is? Well, because of the fall. What's the fall? It's the fact that we sinned. The human race was given responsibility to care for God's creation. It was under our dominion, and we committed treason, that is, sin. The world was placed under the dominion of darkness. And so now our world is broken. But God did not abandon us in this broken world. Instead, God entered into our world to rescue us. And that's what we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper. God himself took on flesh to stand in our place, to take responsibility for our sin so that we could be forgiven and given a right standing with God. Is there hope? Yes. Here's the hope of all who believe. This world is not our home. For those of us who believe this world is as bad as it gets, for those of you who don't believe this is as good as it gets, and that's so sad. But here's what you can know, that the Lord is going to return. Jesus Christ not only died, but he was raised on the third day and is soon returning. And when he returns, he will bring a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be a restoration. That is a biblical worldview. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a way in which they see the world. The Bible tells us to see the world through the lens of Christ. By grace through faith in Christ alone, disciples of Jesus Christ are freed from the punishment and the power of sin so that our minds are different, our lives are different. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. 
having been given the Spirit of God, we have been transformed. We are a new creation, as we're going to talk about in just a bit. And that new creation gives us a new mindset. So now we understand spiritual realities. We now have a divine perspective. And it is powerful because it gives us hope, which enables us to help others. In this series, what we're trying to do is to learn how to see everything from a divine perspective. To be able to see Jesus as he is. He is the ultimate way in which we can understand reality. By understanding who he is, what he's doing, what he's done, and what he's going to do. The right perspective comes from having a right relationship with Jesus. Once we have a right relationship with Jesus, we gain a divine perspective, which allows us to see everything else rightly. It's so important to understand the vastness of God. So often we human beings tend to want to put God in a single box, one of our liking. But we can't do that. We have to understand there's far more to God than, than our simple understanding and sayings can, can, can simply just put him in. Let me show you a for instance. So when you look at this picture, let me ask you, what do you see? A rabbit or a duck? Say it out loud. Okay, so some of you see a rabbit. Who sees the rabbit? Okay, the rabbit, you see the ears, see the eyes, see the nose. How many of y'all saw the duck first? All right, the duck. So you see the eyes and then the, the beak, right? Now, which one is it, the rabbit or the duck? Yes. Another picture. Tell me what you see. Say it out loud. A man's head, okay. Okay, do you see the lady's face holding the baby? Do you see the older gentleman there with the cane? the opening to the gate? Is it a gateway or is it a man? Yes. One more. Tell me what you see. Say it out loud. An older couple, two faces. Okay, that's true. Now, do you see the guy playing the guitar? Do you see the lady standing back here? Do you see his friend adjusting his hat? So is it a picture of a couple of guys or is it a picture of a two older couple? Yes. When it comes to God, we have to be so careful that we don't just see a single picture of what we want to see from a single perspective. See, God is both transcendent and imminent. He's both loving and holy. Nowadays, it seems that so many want to speak of God in terms of his imminence and his love. And that is certainly a, a true attribute of God. But when you remove the holiness of God and the transcendence power of God, you make God less than what he actually is. Right now in our culture, there are many who claim to believe in God who only want to speak of the love of God. And they want to lie to the culture and say, listen, you can choose to do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever sex you want to be. You can be... Uh, um, physically intimate with whomever you want to, however you feel, however you feel like you're designed. You can choose because God loves you and he loves you just as you are and so you can do however you please. And that is a lie. By saying that, what people have done is they've, they've taken a single picture of God and ignored the whole picture of God. Because God absolutely is imminent and loving, but he's also holy and transcendent. He is completely other than us. Yes, the Bible clearly communicates that God is love. 
but God is holy. When Isaiah the prophet was ushered into the presence of God, he heard the angel shouting what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What we must understand is that God is transcendent and holy. He's also eminent and loving. His love does not override his holiness. His holiness does not override his love. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross because he loves us to meet the holy demands of God. God is holy and just. Because he is a just and righteous God, his law must be maintained. What does his law say? There is death as a penalty for sin. Because there is a death that must, that must pay for sin, the good news is God himself took on human flesh and died to pay for our sin because he loves us and because he is holy. The world is not as it should be. God designed the world to be in harmony, but our world is broken because of sin. God did not abandon us in that. Instead, God met the just demands that his holy nature requires because of his love. God entered the world to die for our sin. If we will repent, that is turn away from sin and choose to trust and love Jesus and obey him, we can pursue and recover God's design. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And the gospel reveals both the transcendent holiness of God, the otherness of God, and the imminent and love of God. And when we see Jesus as God's holiness and love, we can see everything else rightly. In this series, we're seeking to understand Jesus rightly. So we've come to this song or poem or dramatic oration, which is verses 15 through 20 of Colossians chapter 1. And it's our hope that we're going to really get a, a glimpse of the preeminence of Christ and understand his glory and his goodness to us. Today, we want to see that Jesus is the maker and maintainer of everything. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. We're in verses 16 and 17. Maggie is going to come and provide our reading. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. We're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Maggie, can you read that for us, sweet girl? For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Maggie. Well done. If you would go and be seated. Just a reminder, the book of Colossians was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul, who was in prison. He wrote to the church at Colossae, which is now in our Bibles, the book of Colossians, that we know of Paul never visited Colossae. 
He found out about the church through a man named Epaphras that we're going to study a little bit more in detail in a few weeks. Epaphras apparently came to saving faith sometime between 52 and 55 AD while the Apostle Paul was spending three years in Ephesus. Ephesus is about 150 miles from Colossae. Having come to saving faith, Epaphras went back and planted a church and other people believed in Jesus Christ and were baptized and they formed into this family of faith. Hearing that Paul was in prison, they, they took together an offering, much like our gift for Christ, and sent Epaphras on a mission trip to Rome. While there, he cared for Paul's needs and told Paul about the situation in Colossae. And, and Paul learned about the fact there were some false teachers there who were speaking about Christ in in ways that were dishonoring to the preeminence of Christ. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul penned this letter. And in this letter now, we see how, where, and what Jesus is. So write it down and remember, Jesus is beyond us. He's transcendent, he's objective, he's holy. And he is the maker of all things. Jesus Christ spoke and creation came to be. Look back in verse 15. If you weren't here last Sunday, be sure to do as I did, which is to go to the app and listen to Pastor David's sermon on verse 15. Outstanding. Provides the foundation for this whole series. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is over all creation. And for by him, all things were created. That's how we... That's how we understand reality, and that's how the Bible begins. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. Now, the word created in Genesis 1-1 is a very unique Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word barach, B-R-A-H, barach. And it means to create out of nothing. We all can create things, but we have to have something God created everything out of nothing. There was nothing except Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God the Son spoke and created all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I, I want you to see scientifically what he did. He, he is as God. He is outside of time and space and matter. He is before them. He is the firstborn. And so see what he did in creation. In the beginning, he created time. Beginning speaks to time. He was before time. He created space, the heavens. He is beyond space. And the earth, matter. Time, space, and matter are what we exist in. God exists outside of it. He was before it. And as God, he is the Alpha and the, and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is in the past, present, and future simultaneously. He knows all things and he holds all things together by his powerful might. He is beyond us. He is transcendent. It is amazing and it is a delight to be able to see science now coming to terms with this miraculous power of God to create. Scientists are coming around more and more and they're seeing that, that there has to be a creator. There is a design here and more and more it's happening. I have neither the time nor the acumen, but the little bit I'm seeing of, of science and, and what is, dis, is being discovered, it is an exciting time to be alive as science and faith are now coming together and bringing glory to our God who created all things. And by him, all things hold together. It is no wonder that this same Jesus 
who spoke all that is out of nothing into creation was able to walk on water and calm the winds. It's no wonder that this Jesus was able to give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and to cleanse the, the, the very skin of the lepers, to raise the dead to life because he has the power, because he is God. He is the maker. And as Abraham Kuyper says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is so sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He holds together every atom, every every molecule, every element, all of it created by him and is now sustained by him. He is sovereign over it all. God has allowed you and me to make thousands, if not millions of decisions. On this planet, there have been billions of decisions made by his image bearers, human beings. And yet God has been able to work sovereignly over all to accomplish his purpose. When we read our Bibles, we read about what was and is and is to come. God allows us and has made us with, with, as creatures of volition. We choose. And yet God's sovereign will is still done because he is over everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. In light of this power and the goodness of God, the question is often asked, then why do bad things happen? Why is there so much pain? I know some of you sit here today and you are not just watching life go by. You're in life. You're dealing with pain. You're facing struggles. You're watching your children. You're watching your grandchildren. You're watching your parents and your grandparents. You're watching their pain. You're seeing them suffer. And you have questions. Why? When I ask why, I find great comfort in the story of Joseph. In the book of Genesis, we read the story of Joseph, this young man, a bit brash, quite arrogant, who gains a vision from God, who understands that one day his parents and siblings will bow before him. He gives testimony to it, and it makes his brothers mad, and so they sell him to Ishmaelites, who then sell him to the Egyptians, and, and he is there in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife turns against him, then he's in jail. In jail, he gets forgotten by those he helped out, and then finally, he is raised up because he can interpret dreams. Pharaoh puts him second in charge. His family comes down. His family bows before him. They are saved because of all that Joseph was able to do. His father dies, and his brothers are afraid. They say, he's going to kill us now. He's going to exact vengeance as, as he is in all right to do. But listen what Joseph said in, in Genesis 50 verse 20. For, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ. Joseph took on suffering so that others could be saved. 
This is what Jesus Christ did for us. He entered into our world and he suffered so that we could be saved. Here's what you can know. God knows your suffering and he has a plan for it. He had a plan for Joseph's sufferings. He had a plan for Jesus' sufferings. He has a plan for your cross, for your trial, for your thorn, for your pain. He loves you. And under his sovereign care, he is working, he is working for good. You say, but I, I can't see the good. You won't always see it. it. It may be a million years from now before you understand fully, but I can assure you of this. If you knew all that God knew, if you had the power that God has, and if you were as holy and as good as he is, you would agree with everything he's allowing you to suffer because you would see the good that will ultimately come. There's a little boy at Vanderbilt a few months ago who had cancer and his mom allowed him to go through surgery to remove the tumor. And after the surgery, he had to take chemotherapy and radiation and he, and he hurt, and it was, it was so painful. But he got to go home, and it looked like he was gonna be okay, but then he got sick, and he had to go back to the hospital, and he's, he's, he's looking on social media, and he sees all of his friends having fun, and there he sat, sick. And he looked at his mom, hurting and bald in that bed, and said, Mom, why did you allow them to do this to me? And her response after she grabbed his hand was to say, to heal you. Because you had a tumor. It was cancer and it was gonna kill you. So I let them take it out. But there were residual effects from that tumor. And, and they're having to kill all of the remaining so that you can be made healthy and remain whole. And this is what Jesus Christ says to us. You had a heart that was cancerous. It was sinful. And God had to take that heart out and replace it with a new heart. A heart of flesh. A heart of love. A heart of holiness. But you still had sin at work in your flesh. And so what did he have to do? He had to apply suffering. He had to apply and is applying and will apply trials and storms and thorns and pain. Because he hates you? No, because he loves you loves you and he wants to eradicate your pride and your lust and your greed and our selfishness and all the sin that is it still at work in us this is an act of love and one day we will thank God for every pain that brought us salvation and sanctification in Jesus Christ when you suffer, remember, God is working good. He's reminding you, this world is not your home. Don't put your hope in a created thing that you can't keep. Not in your health, not in other people, not in your job, not in your looks. God graciously allows you to suffer the loss of those things to get your eyes on him and to receive healing of the salvation that comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. Amen.
<clears throat> As you suffer, have a divine perspective. God is working a miracle. And remember why this is. Look at the prepositions real quick. By him, for him, through him. What Paul is doing here is he is refuting the false teaching of the day. Greek philosophers taught that everything needed a primary cause, an instrumental cause, and a final cause. The primary cause is the plan. The instrumental cause is the power. The final cause is the purpose. When it comes to creation, Jesus Christ is the primary cause. He planned it. He is the instrumental cause. He produced it. He is the final cause. He did it for his glory and our good. He has made all things for his glory and our good. And now he is maintaining all things. Write this down. Jesus is beyond us, transcendent, objective, holy. He is the maintainer of, thing, of all things. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. God has always existed, Father, Son, and Spirit. Before there was time, space, and matter, there was Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus did not create the world and walk away. Jesus hold it, holds it together. This hymn not only celebrates Christ as the agent of and Lord over creation, it also proclaims his guardianship over all things. The scholar F.F. F. Bruce says this, what has been brought into being through him is maintained in being by him. He not only made all things, but now he is holding all things together. The Bible does not portray Christ as far away, but as near. Yes, he is transcendent and over, but now he is holding it together. That word there, that phrase, hold together, it's a single Greek word. It is uh, sunestikin. And the tense of it is, it's, it is perfect. That means it's a completed action, but it's indicative, which means it's an action that will carry on forever. He has held it together and will hold it together forever. He has made all things, and now he is holding all things together. Now think about this at a personal level. We have talked about the philosophical, theological, scientific sense, and we've seen the holiness, the transcendence, the objective reality of God. Now let's think about the personal. Let's think about the imminent. Let's remember this God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's remember what the Gospel of John chapter 1 said about the work of the Son. It said he spoke all things in creation. And John 1.3 says this, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything was made by his spoken word. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, again, he made things by him, for him, through him, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The one who made all things and holds all things together stepped into time, space, and matter. And he suffered to meet the holy requirements of God. 
Because Jesus died on the cross and the wrath of God was poured out on him, if we will repent and believe, we get to receive the love of God and the holy demands of God will be fully met and we are made new. We become a new creation. John chapter 3 says we are born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what God has done in creation, he does in those who repent and believe as disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me show you the comparison. If you've got your Bible, I hope you do. Go to John chapter 10. We've been looking at the objective, transcendent holiness of God as the grand other. Now let's look at this imminent way in which he is the maker and maintainer in our salvation, in our lives. Jesus is near us. He's imminent. He's personal. Write it down. He makes us new by grace. How? Look in verse 28 of John 10. I gave them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus gives us eternal life by grace. We will never suffer condemnation. Jesus will hold us forever. He makes us new the same way, the same God who made everything makes us new so that we are born again. We are a new creation. And more than that, he holds us together. He maintains us. Write it down. He maintains our soul by grace. The same God who made creation and holds it together, makes us new and holds us. Look in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says here, I am God, and I will keep this salvation forever. Jesus is God, and with the same power that he made all things, he now sustains all things. And there is nothing that can snatch us out of his hand. There is nothing that can ever remove you from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No earthly power, no spiritual power, no sickness, no death, no pain. He is sovereign over all. Amen. Getting fired up today. Isn't that good? This God who made all and sustains all, he made me new. He made all who are born again new. And now he holds us and nothing can take us out of his hand. How do we live that? It's in a relationship. It's in a relationship. Can I tell you the secret to healthy relationships? It's not seeking your own happiness. Isn't that crazy? You, do you want a good marriage? You want, you want a good home life? You want good friends? Let me tell you the secret. Don't seek to make yourself happy by them. Instead, choose to love Forgive and serve them. And happiness is a byproduct. See, when a husband chooses to outserve and outlove and outforgive his wife, 
And the wife says, no, I'm going to out serve and out love and out forgive my husband. And the two of them serve and love and care for each other more than they care for themselves. The outcome is a life of happiness. Doesn't mean it's not gonna be hard. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. But you know what the fruit is? Happiness. When Jesus Christ loves a soul and serves that soul unto death, and that soul comes to that God by faith and says, I will love you no matter what circumstances I am in. I will obey you no matter what you command me to do. When that Savior serves and that soul serves and that relationship comes together, you know what the product is? A happy life. You know why some of you are so miserable in your marriage? Because it's all about you. You know why some of you children are so spoiled and angry? Because it's all about you. Why some of you are so disappointed and so frustrated with relationships? Because you've made it about you. Rather than saying, how can I serve? How can I care? How can I step in and do what God did for me? That while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. While they sin, while they're not perfect, I will still give my life and serve and love them. And when that happens, there's a relationship. And in that relationship, there's delight. Some of you today are not looking at the world as you should because you're not seeing it through the cross of Jesus Christ. And you need to come get on your knees and say, forgive me, Jesus, take over my life, hold me. Some of you, your marriage and relationships aren't working. You need to come and get on your knees and say, you know what, God, I've been making this all about me. Forgive me. I want to serve and I want to honor out of what Christ has done for me from the divine perspective of Jesus Christ. Some of you know of families and relationships that are in trouble. Come get on their, your knees today for them and ask that God would enable them to understand this secret. It's through Christ, through serving and loving and sacrificing that relationships are formed and that they hold together and have meaning. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, I know that there are some who are suffering today and I pray today that they can come get on their knees and say, it is well with my soul. I trust your love for me, God. I know you're, good, you're working something good. I choose to trust you. Lord, I know some today who need to come and have a right relationship with you and they need to say to you, God, forgive me, take over my life. I want you to be my all. Give me new life. I want to live in you. Some need to come and pray for their relationships or the relationships of others. Lord, some need healing. Some need a fresh commitment, a renewal in the, in the power of what you alone can do. Lord, be honored now as we sing praise of your love and we respond in faith. Come and pray as we sing.